Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Flying Solo Podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. I'm your host, Robert Gerrish. Flying Solo is an Australian online community and home to stacks of free resources, discussion forums, professional development tools, and a whole lot more. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. Today I'm delighted to be chatting with Justin Tamzit, who has built a great niche in the fitness industry. We start by hearing Justin's path to where he is now. This interview was originally recorded as a live radio segment, hence the listener involvement that pops up from time to time. I have been a gym instructor, personal trainer, uh, salesperson, sales manager, club manager, and then a club owner. So I certainly think that adds a lot of credibility when you're speaking to a whole group of people um, in the fitness industry particularly because mm. you can say you've done everything. There's nothing I haven't done. Yeah. <laughs> I even taught classes really badly. <laughs> but when you, so when you were starting as, a, as an instructor, at that point, was, your, was, was that as far as your kind of vision took you? Was this, okay, here's a nice way to earn a living. I can get fit myself and, and train people. Or did you always have your eye on a, on a kind of a bigger business and, and other opportunities? No, look, to be honest, um, I was at university. And as many of your listeners probably have been to university and suffered the same affliction as I suffered or habit, which was alcoholism, and I needed to pay for that habit at university. <laughs> and I thought working in a, uh, in a bar is not the best option. So I was learning to be a phys ed teacher, so it kind of made sense to go and work in a gym. And my goal was always to finish university and go and become a school teacher. Um, it was never to, never to be an entrepreneur, let alone um, a personal trainer. Just That never occurred to me. Um, but what I found, which was interesting, is that there's a lot of similarities between being a teacher and being uh, a speaker or a, a thought leader or an instructor or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. It still get that warm, fuzzy feeling inside you when people learn to do something. And for me, I was pretty lucky, Robert, because... I taught when I was in at university in my practice teaching. I taught in uh, three of the five worst schools in Newcastle. So, and how was that good for you? Well, on one hand, I could I was experiencing this wonderful opportunity of being a gym instructor and having people listen to you and go off and do what you what you ask them to do. And on the other hand, I had kids throwing chairs at me and telling me to go forth and multiply in not mm-hmm. so many words. And so I was able to compare the two and I just went, you know what, I'd much prefer this angle and if I don't like this, I can always go back to teaching and of course I never never went back to teaching but I take my hat off to, to teachers and nurses. I think they're underpaid for what they do and what they go through. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's how I ended up in the fitness industry, I guess, and, uh, and went from a gym instructor to, uh, to a personal trainer. 
Okay, and when you, I forget, when, when did the language change to that of personal trainer? When would that have been? Uh, look, the, I guess the real trend of personal training only sort of morphed to become a trend in the mid-90s, but uh, in 1989, I launched my personal training business, which was okay. very much in advance, and I remember going to talk to the owner of the business and saying, I want to run this thing called personal training, and they said, well, why would anyone pay for you to train them when we give them a program anyway? And so I said, well, okay, obviously this isn't the place for me to do it because you're not... Right, you're not going to play ball. Thinking. So you... <laughs> You're not thinking in advance and, and ahead of a, uh, a wave or a trend. So, uh, so I went and did it outdoors. Okay, so you were doing it then as an individual. And then presumably, did you, did you get to a point, I mean, were you doing it one-on-one? And then you'd, what I'm trying to do is draw, obviously, parallels between um, that industry and any other industry. You know, and I think as yeah. a lot of people listening, independent professionals, basically selling our skills and services for a fee, how do we replicate ourselves? And I guess what you did, I'm assuming anyway, is is you were doing it initially by yourself. And then there's only so many, you know, kind of whatever it was then, 50, 60, 70 dollars an hour that you can earn. What, what, so where did you go? Did you go to groups? Did you go to working with other trainers? What was your sort of your path there? No, my big insight was my personality was not made for being a personal trainer. Right. Discuss. What do you mean? <laughs> well... If you use um, a behavioural style like DISC principle, D-I-S-C, yep. in those days, I had no idea about DISC, by the way, mm-hmm. but I, I was a high D personality, and a high D personality is not the personality style that you need to be in order to be a successful personal trainer. And how does that manifest itself? What was, it, what was the downside of your personality <laughs> style? I used to get cranky with my clients because they wouldn't okay. do what I told them to do. Right. So I, I just went, you know what, this is... This is, the, this is the field that I want to be in. So I knew I was on the right bus. It's just I was on the wrong seat. Okay. So, so and this, is, then, this is before boot camps because I think you probably would have, you'd have fitted I, I them perfectly. I might have been a good boot camp instructor maybe. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, okay, so, I, so had to then, I then had to explore and do different things within my industry to find that the thing that sort of gelled with me, the thing that pressed my buttons, the thing that met with my personality, I, I guess. Um, and, and with that came a, a real um, self-reflection and realising, you know what, you, you need to grow up, you need to mature, Justin, um, if you're going to be successful in this world. And, and with that, I, I moved into sales and increased um, a different aspect of my personality. Okay. And what were you selling then? What did you, so you stopped the actual training. Were you selling... Stopped, stopped the physical training and moved into selling uh, gym memberships. Oh, okay, and, okay. And, and sold them and I guess many of your listeners would have been through this process too Robert I was probably one of the better sales people so as a, as a good salesperson, they then moved you into a sales manager and because you're mm. a good sales manager you then became a club manager and I'm like managing 15 20 people with no experience in managing people but I was a good salesperson. Okay. So, and how did you how did you find that role? You know, where you were, where you then slipped into managing people, managing a club. Did that suit you? Because you you got involved in clubs of, uh, for for quite a period, didn't you? How did how did that work out? Well, I really enjoyed that, and I guess because my 
I knew that I, I would be weak in that area, so I went off and I learned and I studied and researched and learned and studied and researched and learned and studied and researched over a course of years and and really understood that my role, just like I was when I was university being a teacher, I just had a different bunch of students and they were staff. And so my role as the leader of the organisation, not as, sorry, not as the manager, but more of a leader, was to teach these people how to be better people hmm. as well as better uh, instructors or better receptionists or better salespeople. So not just technically better in their job, or skill-wise, but also a better person that can add more to the community. Okay. And then, so if we move forwards again a little bit further, what I know from there was that um, after sort of running a club, you then decided, okay, I've got this experience of running a club. I can help other people run a club. And that, I think, is where your round table concept came from. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? How did you, where, how did you see that opportunity? And importantly, how did you kind of grab it? Well, most importantly, uh, I was a member of a roundtable. So in order to, to, to get that information, that research, to, to be a better leader, I joined a roundtable. Uh, and the roundtables in the fitness industry are very different to, for example, uh, the CEO group or the tech group because there's no minimum number of dollar turnover in your business in order to join. The other interesting thing is everybody's from the same industry, which is extremely unique, and no one competes on that one round table, which allows an open and honest conversation. So by, by presumably in, in that industry, by not competing, that means they were in a geographically different location. Geographically, yeah, oh, okay. yep, geographically different. And so I was a member, and I just loved it. I just absolutely loved it. And over the course of oh, 15, 16 years, we had a number of different facilitators come in and go and then out of absolutely categorically without any question of doubt luck um i ended up facilitating a round table okay just give it for the again for our listeners justin just give us if you would a snapshot of what 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 a typical round table looks like how many people what's the kind of structure and format either of yours or the or the the one that you you started to facilitate How, how do they operate yeah, look, they go for, um, well, now I have a couple of different models, but generally they go for about two days. And in that two days, there's around about two to three hours of just education, just information, uh, not related to the industry, but outside the industry that is then translated to be useful for the industry. Okay, and that's, uh, that's in- that information is is handed over by the facilitator or by the people sitting around the table? No, by the facilitator. Okay. So that's my, that, I guess that's my role. And then for the remainder of the time, the other three quarters of the meeting, we go through um, key performance indicators and we look at comparisons between all the businesses. So I, I know some of the people are asking questions and challenges that they have in businesses around number of leads or number of sales or marketing issues. Well, we bring these to the table and you've got uh, six, seven, eight, nine, ten up to 12, no more than 12, people who then give feedback on your issues that relate to your KPIs in your business because we all track the same KPIs allowing us to compare apples with apples. Okay, so each person, well, just to make sure I'm, I'm hearing you clearly, so each person says, okay, this is what's going on for me in my business. These are my sort of challenges. This is what I'm trying to achieve, my key performance indicators. 
and then everybody around the table kind of chips in their two-penneth. Is, is that, that's kind of how it works? That's exactly how it works. And we cover all aspects of the business, Robert. So we'll look at uh, marketing, sales, uh, or customer acquisition, customer retention, uh, human resource management, strategic development. And I would dare say a minimal, minimal, like minutes, not hours, minutes spent on operations. It's all about the strategy of growing the business. So therefore, a roundtable could be replicated in um, a marketing business, could be replicated in a web design business, Mm. it could be... It, it, it crosses over a number of industries. Yeah. yeah, and presumably the model from you, and you know, just tell me to shut up if I'm if I'm prying too deeply. But the model for you then is that these people sitting around the table, and again, what we're looking at here, just to re- re- refresh um, our listeners, is an independent uh, professional with a particular skill set. Um, not wanting to kind of be there on the tools or on the weights anymore, but wanting to use your expertise to a group rather than to an individual. So that's the kind of model you're looking at, isn't it? And Very do, much so. And do people then, do they, do they pay a membership or do they pay each time they come to the round table? And how often was it like monthly or how, how does that all operate? Well, we have some roundtables that meet for half a day every two months, but our, the main model is that you would meet three times a year um, and they pay every month. So instead of the annual fee is $6,000, for example, right. and they pay $500 a month and they pay whether they attend the meeting or not. Okay, great model. And then, so they pay each month and yet they only come together once a quarter. So do you keep, do you keep them fed in some way in the intervening months or is there a, you know, a, a one um, yep. on one with Justin or how does that, how does that operate? No, no, that, no, there's no, there's no consulting by me. So it's okay. not, that's not part of the model. Yeah. Uh, they communicate with each other. We have a, a private group on Facebook. So we use that, but we also use email to communicate. And uh, sometimes between meetings, I'll put them in, uh, groups of two or three and say right you guys need to work together between now and the next round table and hold each other accountable so one of the really great things about round table is the accountability factor is mm. that as an owner or manager of a business not manager but as an owner of the business you stand up in front of your peers and say this is what i'd like to achieve over the next four months and your peers hold you accountable of course fantastic what a, a, a terrific model you've got there clearly and um you've well, been Here's the weakness, though, okay. Robert. <laughs> you have to get on a plane all, all the time. That's one of them. Uh, well, no, that's not the weakness. I don't okay. mind doing that. The all weakness right. is this. The, the key aspect of Roundtable to be successful is that there has to be, um, as Patrick Lencioni talks about in his book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, there has to be unmitigated trust. Right. So everybody has to be absolute confidentiality and absolute trust that you can share information on their round table. Before you go further, just give us the name of that author again, please. Uh, Patrick Lencioni, L-E-N-C-I-O-N-I. Okay, and the name of the book was? The Five Dysfunctions of the Team. Okay, terrific. Thank you. Sorry, sorry, carry on. Really powerful book for anybody who's got staff. Right. So because you've got to have this underlying trust, this is the way. This is the weakness in the model, Robert. Is that I can find someone who might be interested in joining roundtable. I bring them to the roundtable. They participate in the first roundtable, and with ten minutes to go at the end of the roundtable meeting, they're asked to leave the room, and then you ask everybody on the roundtable if you'd like that new member to join or not, mm-hmm. and it must be unanimous. Oh boy! Okay. So the tribe truly does speak. Right. 
So from my perspective, I've got to make sure that I've actually qualified this person, think that their personality is going to fit, mm. they've got a skill set that they can add to the round table, um, that they're a nice per all those things. Sure. Because if you bring them in and it doesn't work and it's only ever happened once, right. but we had one person say... So why did you call that a, why have you called that a, a weakness then when it sounds oh, like it works? <laughs> well, it, it, look, it does work, but I, I jokingly say it's a weakness, oh. but it, it, it is... It is a very serious component that mm. everybody on the round table must accept a new member. Sure. So there's a vulnerability there, but it's not, what that's doing is pushing you to um, to qualify people, as you say, very, very, very tightly and closely, doesn't it? That's exactly right. Mm. So I have, I have, for example, a round table with Anytime Fitness franchisees. Okay. And there's two types of Anytime Fitness franchisees. There's ones that have just got into the fitness industry for the first time, and there's others that have been in the fitness industry for years and years and years. So we can't put both of them together. So we have to have a second round table because their, their skill level or their knowledge base around running a, a fitness business is very mm. different. Sure. And tell me, I know now that um, uh, that you, you're branching out a little more away from fitness and and is that well i've got two questions for you the first is what's driving that is it is it that you think hey i'm just in terms of i've got all this experience it's it's worth more than just the fitness industry or is it are you getting a bit bored of the fitness industry or what's or are you running the same kind of model to other businesses what's again how how's the how's your kind of niche evolving for you well, I guess from all my research, there's not a lot of difference um, in small business in how you run a business. And one of the interesting things about the fitness industry is we're so sales focused and we're selling an intangible good. Um, and yet we also, people are paying in advance, so we have to make sure that they stay. So customers, customer acquisition and customer retention is something that I, a skill set that I think I have mm. and I can bring to other niches, regardless of whatever type of business they are. Uh, so I have an interest in going into other niches, other industries okay. um, to try and help in that way because I think I've got a skill set that can. Um, sometimes, I get, to be honest, traveling becomes a bit of an issue for me. I've yep. got a, a young daughter. And, and a young more, puppy. And a young puppy. If I can do more work uh, in Sydney, if not Australia, then that would be even more advantageous. Last year I went to 13 countries presenting at conferences. So if I can try and minimize that, I'd be... I'd be much happier at home, I'm sure. Right. Okay. And have you have you done much of your roundtables online? Have you done them over Skype, or is that is that is that not quite ready for uh, you yet? We look. We've dabbled in that. It's not really the forum. It, it, you face to face, skin to skin, belly to belly. You can't beat mm. um, that meeting. Yeah, I totally agree. With because you. often. Much of the much of the learning and much of the information, but more important, much of the tr much of the trust building occurs outside of the meeting time. It's the breakfast, it's the dinners, um, it's the beers after dinner, where the guys really get to know each other and open up and and get that extra information. Sure, no, I couldn't agree with you more. Now, a couple of questions come in. Uh, what have we got? Philip uh, here from Brisbane saying. You mentioned sales is a strength of yours. It's not something I'm very good at. Um, what tips can you give me? In other words, what tips can you give Philip um, into getting into this whole notion of selling your services as a soloist? I mean, it sounds like uh, Philip needs to do a bit of learning, doesn't he? A bit of training. Yeah, look, I think the first thing that you have to be very clear about if you're going to be selling is no one likes the word sales. And so I 
like I don't like the word sales. So I, I flip it and say, okay, well, the person's got a problem and my job is to solve it for them and I want to be paid for that. So instead of thinking, Philip, that you're in sales, think of yourself as a professional problem solver and mm. your job is to identify the problem that the person has, provide them a solution and then just say, to, and then be confident enough to say, now you've got to pay for that. This is this is how much it's going to cost. Yeah, okay. So most, just think most, about most, think most about it differently. People forget to even ask yes. for the sale at the end of the day. Well, that's that's a true sign of someone who's not a salesperson, isn't it? Is, is they just they miss that miss that opportunity to close. Um, great comments, thank you. Do, do you have a particular um, book or or person that you follow on the whole area of sales? There, uh, Jeffrey Gidimer. Jeffrey Gidimer. How do you spell that one? Uh, G I double T. O M E R. Okay, Jeffrey Gitterman. And so he's he's an online guy, or he's a, he's written some books, or both. Uh, he's written some great books. Okay. He's all these books are like the little red book, or the little black book, or the little green book of whatever. Um, and he has an awesome online newsletter called Caffeine. Fantastic. And it's and it's a really great resource for you to improve your sales skills. That's brilliant. I did tell you I was going to empty your brain today, didn't I? Now, um, (laughs) I've got one other question here. Jess in Melbourne. Okay, this is an interesting one. Can roundtables work just as well informally, like meetups, or do they need to be formally organised? Well, I think you've kind of answered it, but what what do you think about these informal meetups? Do they still have a value, do you think? Look, informal meetups absolutely have an enormous amount of value, um, because that's a networking level. However, my, my issue with an informal meeting is where somebody, you say, how's your business going? And the conversation is, yeah, my business is fine. You know, it, it's okay. Mm. It, it's fine. Um, because they're not going to say in that environment exactly how their business is going. The huge advantage of a round table is because you have that trust, you get down deeper. And when the person says fine, you go, now, okay, now tell me what you mean by fine. Mm. And you yeah, drill down okay. that little bit lower, a little bit lower. So the formality of a round table is is incredibly powerful. Um, mm. And of course, we, it, and, sorry, carry on. And and the beautiful thing about a round table model is that as you build that trust, you're helping that person not only perf- professionally develop and run their businesses better, but generally you're improving them personally mm. as well. And of course, what you're also doing, and you're and you're clearly doing this very efficiently, is is with the round tables that you run, you're putting um, some very definite value around it. And this is clearly a key component of your own business model, isn't it? This is not, you're not meeting up just to, to try and secure new customers. These are your customers. These are your clients. They're part, right. of, you, part of your membership circle, which is a, a, yeah. a terrific concept. Yeah, that's right. It's my business. Mm. Now, um, you just before the call, I had a quick chat with you, and you mentioned that you, you know, I said, look, hey, let's have a look at an idea, an insight, an innovation. Why don't we move on to that? What have you, what have you got down as your kind of? I think you've got some points to share, particular points to share with us. Not that you haven't shared a hundred already. <laughs> well, I think one of the, you know, you asked me to, I guess, Robert, to go through how I got neck deep in a niche and it's interesting i've always wanted to become or i now want to become a a keynote speaker around a, a number of different issues and keynote speaking coaches would say this well a keynote speaker wants to get into a niche you've actually already in a niche and now you want to get out and so i look back and i say well how did i get into the niche and i really have identified four points that i'm happy to share if fantastic that value i think it would let's give it a go well the first thing if you if you want to get into a niche is to have a very clear understanding of why you do what you do Mm -hmm. 
And I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek yep. and, his, and his three golden circles. Um, so I've read that book and I've read it and I've read it and I've read it and I have a clear understanding of why I do what I do, which, which is the, the thing that drives me every day. Mm. And, and, I, it, and, and it I allows often, you, to obviously, to speak with great clarity whenever you meet anyone as well. You're so clear. And just to, for listeners, again, Sinek, S-I-N-E-K, we've got a couple of his videos in our video section, actually. So, sorry, Justin, carry on. Yeah, no, he, he's sensational. And I think you've, you've got to have that clarity um, because that clarity will then produce your passion on why you do what you do. The second thing that I did um, in my niche was I networked in my industry now I guess what Jess was saying earlier from Melbourne about yeah. having these informal meetups, yep, that's networking. But I went to every single association meeting. I never missed an association meeting. So as a member of my peak body, I went to every single meeting. I went to every single conference. Um, I always introduced myself to the speaker at the end of the presentation to say that I liked their presentation, perhaps sometimes with gritted teeth, but I said I liked it. Um, and I got their business card. I then would, eat. Oh, in those days we didn't have email, so I'd send them a handwritten thank you card, thanking them for their presentation um, and, and doing the old-fashioned networking skills to connect with people. Mm. Actually, you know what? I just remember where we first met. You came up to me after I spoke at a fitness event and said that. I'm just trying to work out whether you had your teeth gritted or not. No, they were not gritted. Absolutely not. <laughs> Um, okay, so you really networked. You got you get very involved within the industry. Turning up just in terms of turning up at a lot of events and on a lot of occasions and letting key people know that you were there and who you were. By the sounds of it, correct. Mm. And then I got involved with my uh, association, so I became a member of. Uh, I became obviously a member, but then I became on the on the board or on the advisory committee, and then from there. I, wangled my way again not through probably good management but more luck being in the right place at the right time i was the president of i became the president of the association and and just with that role enabled me then to connect with lots of people Mm. within the industry but also outside the industry there's nothing like having a key role is there within an industry body to be seen you know you've got to be clear that if you're going to put yourself in that position that you've got some good stuff to say and you've got all your kind of foundations right but it's it's such a powerful thing isn't it to be in to be in in that sort of position because boy oh boy do you get do you get some attention when you get into oh, those sort of positions and you get attention and you get connections you meet mm. people and you meet people and you meet people and then you know, that meant that I was now, people went, oh, well, he's obviously an influential person. We need him to speak at our conference. So then I got to speak at conferences. And then if you do a good job, then that, it then blossoms. And, and I guess from my perspective, I've consistently um, written articles. I've consistently spoken at conferences. Mm. And I guess if I look back, it was four or five years of doing um, voluntary stuff in whatever that stuff definition is, voluntary stuff, yeah. um, in order to get leverage for my career five years down the track. Yeah. That's a, a question just coming from Peter on that topic. He asked, um, Peter in Sydney, is public speaking something you did as a strategy to grow your business or is it something that came about after you're successful? Well, it sounds like it's a bit of both, no, isn't it? No, it was oh, definitely okay. a strategy to grow okay. my business. Right, yeah. excellent. I mean... I, I learned as a personal trainer, you have 
if I'm just doing personal training one-on-one, I can only impact one person and therefore get one more sale. But if I'm training 10 people, I've got the opportunity to get 10 sales. So if I'm public speaking to 200 people, I've got the opportunity to get 200 sales if I do a good enough job. Mm, understood. Okay, point three. Point three is perhaps a controversial one in some ways, is that I consistently have always and will always challenge the status quo within my niche. Okay. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, I'm always, you know, I'm always asking the question, um, and I think this is what leaders do in a, in a in any industry or in any business, is they always ask the question, can we do that any better? Is okay. that the best way we should be doing things? Um, it, not to be obstructionable, but more to get clarity and say, yes, we are great, beautiful, pat ourselves on the back, or or to just challenge the process. Okay, so cha- constantly challenging yourself and pushing yourself to, to be better and Absolutely. those around you to be better. Mm, yeah. Very good. And, you know, and I think by people know me in the industry now as somebody who does challenge the status quo about things and, and challenges the way we market. Um, you also need to be in that part of that challenging process is you need to be an early adopter of things. So a great example for me mm. is social media. I was one of the first people in the fitness industry to get their head around social media. Um, but there are other people that were doing it at the same speed. However, I was the first person to say, I am the social media expert in the fitness industry. Okay. So by that, what you're saying is for your ideal clients, you need to make sure that you're a couple of steps ahead is basically what it sounds like to me. Absolutely. Yes, categorically. Okay. You, you can't be at the same paces them you have to be ahead of yeah. them but not necessarily too far ahead would that be would you agree yeah i don't think you need to be too far ahead for example we we were running we've been running webinars in our business for the last three years and it's only now the fitness industry is cottoning on to what webinars actually are so mm. we were too far ahead with our technology and people didn't get it right but i guess that also that brings me to the fourth point sure. which is if you really want to be a leader in your niche or a leader in your business, um, you need to bring outside information in. So what I, what I mean mm. by that is if you are always looking at your industry on how to get better, you will only ever be as good as your industry. Sure, too insular. Correct. Yeah. And I use the example a lot with people of uh, British Airways. When British Airways wanted to improve their maintenance department of their planes, they wanted to improve the efficiency and the effectiveness of turning their planes around. They didn't look at other airlines. They looked at a Formula One pit crew. (laughs) And they said, we need to model our business on what they do. And that's exactly what they did and, re- and was able to read. That's, <clears throat> that's a great tip to end on, Justin, to, to not, not just narrowly look in your own industry, but look for innovation and for changes and uh, things that are happening in, in other industries and translate them to yours. Fabulous. Now, I just had another comment from Karen from the lovely Blue Mountains. Um, she, the statement that she's saying, really, that identifying the problems um, to solve the challenge, I guess this is something that, that copywriters are very good at, and I think I think they are. So I guess what she's referring to there is, you know, you talked about writing content and writing blogs. You know, there's there's um, uh, certainly a real skill set in having interesting headlines and showing that you understand the issues that kind of um, confront your audience. So this is something I know that you do a lot of in your talks and your writing. That would be true, wouldn't it? 
Oh, absolutely. You, I mean, you've got to identify the pain that your customers are going through yeah. and then show them the solution. Um, I'm, a, I'm not a great writer. I'm okay. Right. Um, I now have someone that I've got a copywriter that goes over my writing to make sure that at least my grammar's right. But I think one of the important things is your personality has to come out in your writing um, and you can't, if you're a rough diamond, then that rough diamond has to come through in that writing. And I, and I try to write the way I speak, yep. uh, which is often a problem. <laughs> but it, I don't think before I write. <laughs> but say so you've got you've got a, a sort of sub editor that looks over your work, which is a very very sensible and very very practical thing to do. Well, look, Justin, you've been so generous uh, with your time and with your expertise. Now, I know that um, if we want to find out a little more about you or a lot more about you, where would be the best place to head to? Which, what's your, your URL du jour? Uh, yeah, justintamset.com would okay. probably be the easiest. T- don't, please, please don't critique the website. We're just in the process of redesigning it. We're having a new <laughs> website that will be launched in about a month. But there's, you know, there's blogs, information there about health and uh, how to improve okay. your, your general wellness, but also there's um, there's a whole range of different stuff. Or you can go to activemgmt.com.au and we have a great, sorry for the plug, but That's I think fun. it's a great uh, monthly newsletter that is not just not related to the fitness industry, it's related to business where we give okay. tips on how to improve your business. Terrific. And look, and I think for anybody that's, um, that, that is interested in, in really owning a niche, there's, there's little better than to, to look at uh, someone such as yourself and how you've done it. And we've certainly heard some uh, wonderful things uh, from you today. So I really thank you for that. And um, I don't know if we can guarantee that people won't critique your website. We've got a lot of people who critique. So look, if they do, I'm sure they can just send you a polite little note from your contact form, can't they, Justin? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, <laughs> connect with me on Facebook or, or Twitter. Either way, I'm, you know... For me, this is the beginning of a relationship and I'm happy to, to either help people or um, get some tips from them as well on how to make that website better. Terrific. Well, look, Justin, terrible. thank you again so much for joining us. Enjoy the rest of your day. And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo. I'm Robert Gerrish and we hope you'll join us next time. If you're looking to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, you'll find heaps of resources at flyingsolo.com.au and a supportive community on our forums and Facebook. Thanks for listening.